royal family of Great Britain are easily the most famous royal family on earth, if not the most famous family on earth. I refuse to accept that it's the Kardashians. Our monarchy goes back over a thousand years and is a complex thing to truly understand. As the royal family receive a large amount of funding from the British taxpayer, it is natural that they are under intense scrutiny. This scrutiny can often be misplaced. What people think the royal family is, is not always accurate. And so today, I wanted to look at three aspects of the modern royal family and provide some clarity or insight into why or how things are done. I will explain what a working royal is versus a non-working royal. I will break down titles, how they work, who has them, why they have them, and conversely, why some members of the royal family don't have them. And finally, I am going to discuss two princesses who I believe are without question the most misunderstood members of the entire royal family. Welcome back to the Tudor Chest, the podcast, with me, Adam Pennington, historian, author, and creator of the Tudor Chest. In this week's episode, I examine what it means to be a working royal, royal titles, and two very misunderstood princesses. I am a Plantagenet and Tudor historian, but I am also a big supporter of the current royal family. I keep up to date with royal news, and I have spent a lot of time studying the House of Windsor. And as such, I really understand certain elements of modern royal life. And some of these things are aspects that I see repeatedly misrepresented or misunderstood, both in the press and with the general public. And the three things that I wanted to speak about today are the aspects I most consistently see being got very wrong. So to start with working royals, the categorization of what is a working royal is something which feels like it's been much more discussed in the past year. In fact, I think there's been more discussion even in the last six months about what is a working royal than there has been over the past decade. The major cause for this is, of course, the passing of Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II in 2022 and the ascension of her son, His Majesty King Charles III, to the throne. The king has been quite vocal for some time about wanting to create a more streamlined, slimmed-down royal family, hoping to ensure that the firm, as it's known, is seen to be economising and is good value for the British public. It is under the king's watch that only working members of the royal family are given prominence at state occasions, and that's why, if we consider the most recent major royal event, the coronation, that only working royals were in the official carriage procession to and from Westminster Abbey, where only working royals appeared on the balcony of Buckingham Palace, and where only working royals appeared in the official photographs released from the day. When the late Queen was alive, if we considered the annual Trooping the Colour ceremony, the entire royal family, irrespective of being either a working or non-working royal, would have appeared on the balcony. It wouldn't just be the Queen, her children and grandchildren, but literally everyone in the family, right down to people like the grandchildren of the Duke of Kent or the Duke of Gloucester. And a lot of these people are almost complete unknowns to the British public. 
And so under the king, this has been really scraped back to just the core working royals. But that does mean that the non-working royals who have a much higher public profile, such as Princess Beatrice or Zara Tyndall, are also no longer set to appear. So what is a working royal? A working royal is someone who conducts engagements on behalf of and in support of the crown. Their full-time job is being royal. They will often hold a considerable number of charitable patronages and military roles, acting as commanders-in-chief to different army regiments, for example. A reminder here that the army pledged fealty to the royal family, not the government. And so the entire armed forces of the United Kingdom ultimately view the king as the boss. Working royals are, in a way, living representatives of Great Britain and the Commonwealth. So who are the working royals? I will name them in order of precedence, starting obviously with the very top, the king and queen, Charles and Camilla. We then have the prince and princess of Wales, William and Kate. Then there is the Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh, Edward and Sophie, known previously as the Earl and Countess of Wessex. We have Princess Anne, the Princess Royal, the King's sister. And we then have the late Queen's cousins, the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester, the Duke of Kent, and Princess Alexandra, who is the younger sister of the Duke of Kent. You then have four other people who occupy or occupied a bit of a grey area. The first are Prince and Princess Michael of Kent. Prince Michael is the youngest of the Kent siblings, so he is the younger brother of the Duke of Kent and Princess Alexandra. Prince and Princess Michael used to have official profiles on the royal family's website and would conduct official engagements on behalf of the late Queen as and when needed. They would be, for example, regularly seen in the processions of the annual state banquets, but they never actually received a salary from the sovereign grant. I believe it was the King, who was then known, obviously, as Prince Charles, who gave them the nickname the Rentakents because they would fill in from time to time as and when needed. And we've now seen under the King's reign that Prince and Princess Michael no longer have profiles on the royal family's website and have stepped back completely from any official public duties. The other slight grey area is the York princesses, Beatrice and Eugenie, particularly Beatrice because she is now a councillor of state. Now, Beatrice and Eugenie are not working royals at all. However, they are occasionally called upon to conduct official engagements on behalf of the royal family. If we consider the date after the coronation, there were street parties up and down the kingdom, and certain members of the royal family were sent out to some of these street parties to provide an official visit from a member of the family and generally get involved with the activities and raise the profile of what was happening. The members of the royal family who were deployed to do this were the Prince and Princess of Wales, the Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh, Princess Anne and her husband, Captain Sir Timothy Lawrence, and Princesses Beatrice and Eugenie. And so in this instance, they were conducting an engagement on behalf of the royal family, and it isn't difficult to see why they would have been a natural choice. They are princesses by birth, they have the HRH, and quite high public profiles, so it makes sense for them to do this type of engagement. But this is a few and far between thing. They are not officially viewed as working royals, which is why they weren't on the balcony of Buckingham Palace or in the photographs released by the royal family even though I firmly believe that Beatrice and Eugenie should be working royals, and I will come on to discuss that in due course. 
So that's working royals covered. So what about non-working royals? Well, simply put, non-working royals are members of the royal family who don't conduct work on behalf of the royal family, and therefore they need to have paid for jobs. There are also then a few people who come out of being a working royal, such as the previously discussed Prince and Princess Michael of Kent. Much more famously, we have Prince Andrew, Duke of York, and then Prince Harry, Duke of Sussex, and his wife, Meghan. We all know why these people aren't working royals, so I'm not going to go back over at all. So the non-working royals, the two most well-known are probably Beatrice and Eugenie, the princesses of York. Beatrice works for a major tech company called Affinity as their vice president of strategy. And Eugenie works for an art gallery network called Hauser and Worth. You then have the children of Princess Anne. So Peter Phillips, who works in sports management, and Zara Tyndall, who is an Olympic medal winning equestrian. The children of the Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh, Lady Louise Mountbatten-Windsor and James Earl of Wessex, are both still in full-time education. Beyond them, you then have the much more extended members of the family, so people like Lady Gabriella Kingston, who is the daughter of Prince and Princess Michael of Kent, or Lady Helen Taylor, the daughter of the Duke of Kent. All of these people have full-time jobs in the private sector. As non-working royals, these people receive no money from the state, they receive no funding, and they receive no public-funded security, unless they are called on to conduct an engagement such as the one I mentioned a moment ago with Beatrice and Eugenie. They are, in effect, required to live a normal life, with a paid-for job. They have to have these careers outside of the royal family. Ironically, it can be much easier for those who are much further down the pecking order to have success at flying under the radar, because it is much easier for someone like a Lady Gabriella Kingston, who most people don't know, and who is 56th in line to the throne, to not be under that intense scrutiny that someone like Princess Beatrice, who is ninth and has the HRH, therefore has to walk a more difficult line, balancing the private with the public profile. So I hope that's clarified things around working royals versus non-working royals, and so I'll now move on to titles. Now titles, with titles there is, I believe, even greater confusion around titles than there is around working royals, which is why I wanted to cover it today. There is a lot of misconception in the press, lots of things get reported incorrectly, so I'm here to clear things up. The first thing to say is that the HRH prefix, the right to be a his or her royal highness, is tightly controlled, and it's tightly controlled by statute. Effectively, it's controlled by law. Not just any member of the royal family can be an HRH. It only extends so far. To have the HRH title, you have to fall into one of the following brackets. You have to be the children, either male or female, of a living sovereign. You have to be the male line grandchildren of a living sovereign, or the children of the eldest son of the Prince of Wales. So what that means in reality is that the four children born to the late Queen were immediately entitled to be HRHs upon birth, which is why you have, forward slash had, Prince Charles, Princess Anne, Prince Andrew and Prince Edward. The next step is the six grandchildren of the late Queen who were grandchildren by virtue of the Queen's sons, which means that they also, from birth, carry the HRH prefix and are legally recognised as princes and princesses. 
these being Prince William and Prince Harry, sons of, as he was then known, Prince Charles, now King Charles III. As the sons of the Prince of Wales, both William and Harry are princes of the United Kingdom, and although Prince Harry no longer uses his HRH officially, he does still legally retain it. You then have the daughters of Prince Andrew, Princesses Beatrice and Eugenie, both of whom carry the HRH and Princess title. And if I may, this is one of those things that people often get quite wrong, or I see misrepresented in the press. Now, we all know that Prince Andrew has many faults. I am not sugarcoating that at all. But one of the things that people often say, which is wholly inaccurate, is that Prince Andrew was being overly grand and stamping his feet and demanding that his daughters be princesses. And the inference there is that Beatrice and Eugenie therefore don't deserve their title. And this is just completely inaccurate. There was no stamping of feet. There were no demands. Beatrice and Eugenie are princesses because they are completely entitled to be. They are legally entitled to it. They are just as royal as Prince William. And what people will then often come back to is to compare the situation of Beatrice and Eugenie against the children of Princess Anne. Peter Phillips and Zara Tyndall, who have no title of any kind. That is to completely misunderstand the process of titles. The reason Peter and Zara have no titles of any kind is very straightforward. They have no title because they are the children of the late Queen's daughter, and titles cannot pass through the female line. They can only be passed on by a father. And so there were no titles for Peter and Zara to inherit. Now, what is true is that when Princess Anne married her first husband, Mark Phillips, the Queen offered to make Mark an earl. She offered him an earldom, which he chose to decline. Now, it's entirely probable that that was a conversation between Princess Anne and Mark Phillips, and that they came to a joint decision that he would decline that earldom. But it was by declining the earldom that Peter and Zara lost the right to any title of any kind. Now, I hasten to add, it would not have made them HRHs, but it would have made Peter a Viscount, and Zara would have been Lady Zara. But by declining that earldom, it robbed the Phillips children of a title of any kind. So it cannot be compared against Beatrice and Eugenie. It is effectively comparing chalk and cheese. You then have the children of the Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh. And in this situation, things were done differently. When Prince Edward married in 1999, he and his wife requested that any children born to them would not formally use their HRH title, and that they would instead carry the titles given to an earl, which is why Louise is known as Lady Louise, and James was known as Viscount Seven prior to his father becoming the Duke of Edinburgh. Legally, Lady Louise and the Earl of Wessex are technically Her Royal Highness Princess Louise of Edinburgh, and His Royal Highness, Prince James of Edinburgh. But their parents requested that they not use their full royal titles, believing that as they are quite far down the line of succession, that it would hinder them in leading a normal life. But as I say, legally, they remain a princess and a prince. Again, you can't really compare this against Prince Andrew's daughters, because Louise and James came along years after Beatrice and Eugenie. The final layer of the HRH title, the final sort of bracket of HRH, is the children of the eldest son of the Prince of Wales. In this specific context, you need to keep in mind that the children born to William and Kate came along whilst the late Queen was still alive. 
William's children were the children of the eldest son of the Prince of Wales. And it is for that reason that George, Charlotte and Louis were all HRHs from the moment they were born, but the children of Prince Harry were not. One of the things that I found so frustrating about the interview that Harry and Meghan did with Oprah Winfrey was that there was this suggestion that their children were denied titles at birth because of their mixed-race heritage. And that's just factually wrong. It's completely inaccurate. The reason Archie and Lilibet didn't receive titles is that at that point, they weren't entitled to titles. They weren't the male-line grandchildren of a living sovereign, nor were they the children of the eldest son of the Prince of Wales. And literally 15 minutes later in the interview, Meghan said they will get the title when Charles becomes king, which proves she knew how the system works. She knew why they didn't have the HRH at that stage. And frankly, I was shocked that Prince Harry didn't call a halt on the interview and ask for that portion to be removed, because he, more than anyone, would have known exactly why his children at that time were not entitled to be HRHs. I just thought it was a really low blow to take that line, and ultimately we've seen the reality of the true situation because now that Charles is king, Harry's children are male-line grandchildren of a living sovereign, which is why we now have Prince Archie and Princess Lilibet. So, that's titles. Hopefully that's tidied things up. The last thing that I wanted to talk about, as I said, is princesses Beatrice and Eugenie, who I believe are the most misunderstood members of the royal family. Even down to the most simple of things, Princess Eugenie's name. Now, I appreciate that it is an unusual name, but I hope people have been listening to this episode and saying to themselves, oh, that's how you pronounce it. I actually sat and watched a documentary that was on Channel 5 a couple of weeks ago about the princesses and people who call themselves royal journalists or royal historians brought on to discuss the princesses were butchering her name left, right and centre. I heard Princess Eugenie, Princess Eugenie, Princess Eugenie, and I just thought, for heaven's sake, if you're a royal journalist, you should be able to accurately pronounce the princess's name. I think the single biggest misconception about Beatrice and Eugenie is that they don't do anything. I was speaking to somebody the other day and he said, oh, I can't stand those two. They don't do anything. They just sponge off the government. They're so lazy. Why are we having to pay for them? And I was livid because that couldn't be more inaccurate. It couldn't be more opposing to the truth of the princess's lives. They get no money or security from the state. And so as I've covered, they actually have full-time jobs. I think those are the two biggest misconceptions. Firstly, that they receive no funding from the government, and two, that they actually have jobs. And the next misconception, or I suppose more accurately, the thing that people don't necessarily know, is that both princesses also do a lot of charity work, which they do completely independently from the royal family. I think each princess has something like 15 to 20 patronages, which naturally centre around things close to their heart. So Beatrice is heavily involved in charities around dyslexia, which she was born with. And Eugenie is involved in charities to do with scoliosis of the spine, which she suffered from as a child. And actually at her wedding, she very deliberately chose to not have a veil so that the scar that runs down her back would be very visible. She's also very involved in charities trying to save the oceans, 
you set up a charity trying to end human trafficking. And I stress again that both Beatrice and Eugenie do this entirely off their own back. They get zero support, funding or marketing from the royal family in these endeavours. Now, as they are princesses, any work they do with charities sees them addressed as that charity's royal patron. But again, this isn't done in support of the monarchy itself. They do it because they care. And as princesses, they can really raise the profile of causes close to their heart. So here we have two young women who have full-time jobs, and they conduct a lot of charity work. Oh, and their mums, and members of the royal family, who happily support as and when needed. That is the opposite of lazy and entitled. And I think these are the things that are just not well known or understood about Beatrice and Eugenie. And I really hope that people will have listened to this and perhaps reevaluated their opinions. The thing that I find most crazy about the princesses, though, is the fact that they aren't working royals. When we saw those official photographs of the coronation, there was actually a lot of discussion in the press about the fact that the royal family, the working royal family, is elderly. In the lineup, only William and Kate are in their 40s, and Edward and Sophie are in their late 50s. Anything north of that, and you're in the early 70s, right up to the Duke of Kent, who is nearly 90. You can see in the photograph that Princess Alexandra is basically being held up by Prince Edward and his wife, Sophie. These people, the Duke of Kent and Princess Alexandra in particular, are very elderly. As I've said, the Duke of Kent is nearly 90, and it's clear that he has quite severe mobility issues. Princess Alexandra is 88, and it's crazy to me that two princesses who are in their mid and early 30s, with a much higher public profile, and who are much closer in the line of succession, do not represent the crown. But people like Princess Alexandra who is 57th in line to the throne, in comparison to Beatrice's 9th, still conducts engagements. It just doesn't make sense. Now, I want to stress, I have nothing but respect for the late Queen's cousins. They've done decades of great work for the monarchy, Great Britain, and the Commonwealth. Princess Alexandra, for example, back in her day, was a major international princess and was a big face of the British monarchy. But surely the time is now right to retire the Queen's cousins, and bring forward Beatrice and Eugenie. Beatrice is now a councillor of state, and despite being a non-working royal, that honour has not been taken away from her. Perhaps suggests that there is a role for her in the future. I think it's needed. The, the royal family needs more youth in its working royal lineup. The family is already slimmed down by the removal of princes Andrew and Harry and Meghan Duchess of Sussex from the working royal lineup. And even Princess Anne has said, for example, that she believes there won't be enough working royals to cover all of the bases. Because when the time comes that the late Queen's cousins either retire or sadly pass away, more royals will have to be brought forward. And the most obvious choices to do that are Beatrice and Eugenie. They have the rank as princesses of the blood, they're the right age, so I think it is something that we will eventually see. And I actually think we're starting to see it already. If we consider the recent... Jordanian royal wedding, the Prince and Princess of Wales attended, as did Princess Beatrice and her husband, Eduardo Mapelli Mozzi. Now, it's not entirely clear if they were there in an official capacity or a personal capacity, but the fact that at the state banquet afterwards, Beatrice appeared in a tiara in the official lineup, addressed as Her Royal Highness Princess Beatrice, it really brought home that she is a genuine princess. 
and the fact that just a week later, Beatrice and Eduardo shared a carriage at Royal Ascot on the final day with William and Kate is also a further sign that maybe she is being positioned as the next natural working royal to step up. I really hope people have listened to this episode and have had some of their beliefs challenged, particularly with regard to Beatrice and Eugenie. It's become something of a national sport to knock them, but really, neither princess has actually ever done anything wrong, save the odd dodgy outfit, which I think everyone couldn't hold their hands up to say they've also suffered from over the years. Of course, they have been tarred by the many catastrophes of their parents, but it seems grossly unfair to me that that we would tar the princesses with the brush that judges their parents' behaviour when, as I say, save the odd dodgy outfit, they've never actually done anything wrong. So, that brings me to the end of this episode. I really hope this has been informative and, as I say, will have hopefully changed a few people's opinions or just allow people to have a greater grasp of the realities of certain aspects of the current royal family. I'll be returning fully to the world of the 16th century next week, looking at the depictions of Anne Boleyn in film and television, and review which I favour versus those I struggle with. Spoiler alert, I am not a big Natalie Dormer as Anne Boleyn fan. Yes, I know, controversial. I love her, just wasn't convinced by her as Anne Boleyn. You'll need to swing by next Thursday to find out why. To keep up to date with all things Tudor Chest, please visit my Instagram account at the Tudor Chest. And if you would like to support the channel, then please go to patreon.com forward slash the Tudor Chest. Thanks all and speak soon. <laughs>